I'm excited about the sermon this morning because these truths are things that changed my life as a young man when I first began to seek the Lord. And we're talking about how to advance in the kingdom of God, how to go forward, how to grow, how to develop for God. And my purpose in that is because I want to be useful for God. Not, it's not just the idea of, oh, let's just get better and let's just expand and let's, let's grow for our own purposes, our own sake. I, I want to grow and develop because I, I know that my time here is short and I know that the more I grow and develop, the more God can use me. And that's the mentality. That's, that's why we focus on growing and developing. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he was, Peter was talking to Christians. He said, for this very reason, make every effort. Everybody say, make every effort. Make every effort. For this reason, make every effort. Did you know that being a Christian required effort? And you won't hear this a lot in church because we've swung the pendulum so far to the other side of, well, being a Christian is all about grace, all about mercy. You don't do anything. Jesus does everything. Well, that wouldn't require much effort, would it? But anything good in life requires effort. Good marriage requires effort, right? Being just a good human being requires effort. Being a good father, a good mother requires effort. Being a good entrepreneur requires effort. There's not anything good in life that doesn't require effort. And if anybody told you that, they were lying to you, right? Or they were trying to sell you something, as they say. For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. See, he says, don't just put forth a little bit. He says, no, until you've exhausted every effort, then you continue down this path. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And he goes on, he names some things. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't stop. When you got saved, you don't get saved and receive salvation and you just, oh, we're done. Now we're on our way to heaven. We're saved. We got all there is to get. No, he said, now the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your existence on this planet is spent making every effort to supplement that faith that you received. And I know a lot of Christians that never read this verse because they got saved and they thought, pray God, I'm on my way to heaven. And now every decade from here forward is just going to be spent enjoying life. Just making money and having good social events and eating family dinners at church and doing events and having, singing and worshiping and things like that and just having a good old time. Did you know that's not what the remaining of our years is supposed to be on this planet? This is not, Christianity is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. There's a difference, right? But some people treat Christianity like it's a cruise ship. You know, we got saved, we got on the boat. Man, now where's my, where's the lobster? Where's the cold drinks, you know? Where's the dance floor? Let's have a good time. No, it's not a cruise ship. But that mentality makes all the difference. That mentality makes all the difference. Because I meet Christians all the time. It's like they think being a Christian is a cruise ship. And I meet, I would say, fewer Christians that understand that, no, this is a, this is a battleship. And everybody has a post. Everybody has a position. And when your position is not filled then that means the rest of us who are doing our job have to supplement for you. And we got to do your job plus ours. Is that right? That's what happens. That's why you have in the church, you have a lot of Christians doing a lot of things, and you got a few that still are acting like they're on a cruise ship. I'm talking about the body of Christ at large. I'm not talking about one life. I know everybody here thinks right. You know, everybody here thinks like they're supposed to, so that's not really the issue. But we're just talking about the body of Christ at large. No, we all could grow in this, right? We, we all could improve in this thinking and in this mentality. 
I think it'd be good to meditate on this statement just for a few weeks. I read it last week. We're going to read it again for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Praise God you receive faith. Praise God. That's the most important thing. You couldn't get that by effort, right? That, 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 that didn't come by effort. That came by the grace of God. However, after you received the grace of God, after you, after you have received salvation, now you make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. So you see, you got a lot to do. That's a long list, and that's not, a, that's not an exhaustive list. That's just a, few, just a few of the things. Now notice verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. And see, that's what we're after. This is why we grow. This is why we advance, because we don't want to be ineffective. Have you ever known any Christians that were ineffective? Have you ever experienced being ineffective in your own life? Yeah, we all have. We've all had seasons of being ineffective because we were, we were preoccupied with other things. We were selfish. We got sidetracked on other things. He said, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, he said, that will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is so crazy what he says. It's so powerful. It's such a, such a revelation. But he says, actually, your salvation can be ineffective and unfruitful because you didn't add anything to it. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, yeah, praise God you got saved. You're just one person. Praise God you're on your way to heaven. He said, but that salvation is ineffective and unfruitful. The, the knowledge you received about the Lord Jesus is ineffective and unfruitful if you don't add these other qualities so that you can do something for God, that you can do something in the world. He's not, talking about, he's not saying that you're not saved if you don't add these things. He's just saying that salvation is bigger than just you. And the call on your life is bigger than just you. Praise God you got saved, but the whole idea of Christianity is multiplication. Yes. The whole idea of Christianity, you remember when Jesus gave the parable of the little mustard seed? And he talked about how it expanded into a big tree and it gave shade and birds rested. That's the gospel. A little seed is planted and then it grows and it expands. It affects everything around it, every person around it, every business around it, every city, every state. It just expands. And when he says, when you get saved and you don't add anything to it. You basically just remain a little mustard seed. You don't grow. You don't expand. You don't touch anybody. You got the gospel, praise God, but it just stayed with you. No, the gospel is planted. It changes us, and then it comes out, and it touches everything that it goes, and it, it's meant to spread and touch every area of our life, our children's lives, and it's, it becomes a generational thing where your kids raise up and they serve God, and your grandkids come and they serve God and they follow God. And the brokenness and the devastation and the sin that did in your life stopped with you because you got saved and you got born again, and now you, spread a, you started a new cycle with your kids and your grandkids. That's the power of the gospel. That's how it's supposed to work. So he said, no, you make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. He said, you, in other words, you, yeah, you might be saved, but he said, you're almost blind if you're not doing this because you, you so, you're so short-sighted and so self-focused that you didn't really understand the point of the gospel. 
He says, it's almost like you have forgotten what you came out of. Almost forgotten what you were saved from. Almost forgotten that there's a hell. And that there's a heaven. And that the gospel is the really only thing that matters in this, in this world. He says, you're not living like that's true. Now, many of us would affirm that that's true. We would, we would say, oh, yeah, you know, we know all the right things to say. But that's what Peter's addressing. He said, but you're not living like that. You're not living like that's a reality. Now, here's the point, and this is where I want to focus this morning. The point is that in order to grow as a believer, okay, in order to grow, you must experience pain in your life. And this is what, unfortunately, doesn't get talked about a lot. And this is why more people don't grow and develop. You ever heard the term growing pains? Well, it, com- it comes from, you know, the physical part of when you're growing, you know, your knees hurt, your thighs hurt, your joints hurt because you're growing, that, and that word growing pains. But it's spread way beyond that, and people use it for all kind of things. You know, somebody's starting a new venture, and they're not doing real well, and they go, oh, well, it's just growing pains, right? We know what that means. It's a phrase we use because we understand that with any growth comes pain. With any growth comes pain. This is why a lot of people stay away from growth, because they don't like pain. But please get this in your mind this morning. Any amount of growth, for any amount of growth, you must experience pain. It can be a little pain, or it can be a lot of pain, depending on how much you want to grow. Let's just think about any normal example. If you want to, you know, how many of you have ever gone to the gym, and you got guys that, or four times, you know, my size, just massive, and they're working out, and it's like they just live there. I guess they call them gym rats. They just live there, you know, and they're, they're putting their body through some serious pain, too, and then you see it in the results, and then I've seen this new phenomenon. I don't know what this is. It didn't used to be like this, but then you go to the gym, and you see these older guys that they're sitting at a table drinking coffee with their friends, and I'm like, there's like 10 of them. You came to the gym, if you do that, that's fine. I, I got no problem with that. All right. You come to the gym. The whole time I'm working out, they sat at a table, drink coffee, and read the newspaper. I'm like, is that why people come to the gym now? That's so confusing to me. I thought you came to the gym to put yourself through some pain to get a result, right? Well, I wonder if that's how people come to church sometimes. <laughs> it's like those old guys at the gym. You know, you just come, and it's like we're here to drink coffee. and do. No, that's the smallest part of it. If you don't put yourself through any pain, you're not going to see any growth. And you may feel like you're doing something because you're going to the gym and drinking coffee. Like, well, I went to the gym this morning, baby. Well, I don't know that you did much because you just sat at, you did the same thing you would have done at home in your kitchen. So it's not, and sometimes they're eating donuts. Now, don't, don't even ask me about that. I don't I think you're going backwards. I think you're going the opposite way. But you don't experience growth without pain. And the more pain that you put yourself through, the more growth you will experience. This is a generalization. I understand it doesn't apply to every uh, situation. But here's the, the kind of the scale, all right, if you could see it in your mind. Pain and growth have a proportional relationship. It's very, very important to understand. Pain, and you, I'm, I'm using the word pain, but you could put in that place uh, sacrifice, work ethic, difficulty. Okay, I'm calling it pain, but it's all of those things. Pain and growth have a proportional relationship. You put yourself through a little bit of pain, you get a little bit of growth. You put yourself through a lot of pain, you get a lot 
of growth. In other words, if you make a lot of sacrifices and you have a lot of work ethic and a lot of effort, which is painful, you will have a lot of growth. If you do a little, you will get a little. This is actually a biblical principle. Pain and growth have a proportional relationship. Why? Because as humans, when we experience pain, we naturally adjust. If it weren't so, we would die. Pain causes us to change, right? If you experience pain, you know, our our bodies are designed, you experience pain, you flinch, you move away, you adjust. You don't do the same thing twice or three unless you got a problem. But most of us adjust. You get, you know, you touch a hot stove, you never do it again. Why? Because pain changed you. It made a change up here. It grew you. You grew as a person. You learned. Pain and growth have a proportional relationship. Now, pain doesn't always grow you because too much pain can kill you or permanently disable you. Right? If you're in the gym and you put on, you put some weight on a back squat and you go down your, that, that level of pain that's appropriate, but, you know, you put a semi-truck on the back of the, well, he's dead, you know. Too much pain will kill you. So, so the growth kind of equation is the right amount of pain applied to the right kind of person will cause growth. The right amount of pain applied to the right amount of person, excuse me, the right kind of person, will cause growth. In other words, a child can't lift what an adult can lift. A child can't endure what an adult can endure. So sometimes you see people in life that are broken, bitter, depressed, suicidal, right? On every medication you can think of, their life is in shambles. Why? They've experienced an overload of pain or trauma or hurt in their life. That hurt, that pain, that trauma did not grow them. It destroyed them. And now they need rehabilitation. They need someone to help them get past to that point. So I'm just helping you understand the relationship between pain and growth in our lives. But there is that threshold. There is that That medium where pain is good and it causes a person to grow. Too much pain will destroy a person. See, God understands this equation. And he understands it for every person's life. And for us, our job is to submit to God's process, allowing him to apply pressure and apply challenges in our life. This is why James said, count it all joy, brothers, when you experience the testing of your faith. Because you know it's producing something in you. He said, don't run from pain, but embrace it. Embrace the process of God. Why am I saying this? Because as a pastor, I meet with people and have for over a decade now. I meet with people every week, month that want change. But they don't want what we're talking about this morning. They want to change. They want to be different. They want to grow, but they do not want to do any work. I, I don't understand. I'll tell you, I don't know how many times I've met with people that the situation they were in was extremely painful, but they didn't choose it. See, it was forced upon them. In other words, they, they, if they could choose to get out of it, they would. The only reason they're going through it is because they don't have a choice. It's, they have to. And then I'll give them something simple to do. Maybe read a book. Listen to a podcast. Does that require a little bit of pain? Yes, it does, because it requires a little bit of work, a little bit of sacrifice, a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, but it's little, and it doesn't compare to the pain they're going through. But that little pain, that little, just little thing, 
they can do it or not do it. It's a choice. And how many do not do it just because, well, it's a little bit of work, a little bit of pain, a little bit of sacrifice. I'm like, it doesn't even compare to the pain you're going through. It doesn't even compare. And this is the thing about pain is it's, there's a, there's a, as I said, there's a proportional relationship between how much pain you experience and how much growth you experience. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, because God understands this process, and He is, I said this last week, God is like your personal trainer. He, the Holy Spirit in you, praise God that He is with you, He can talk to you. He can help you. He can show you. He can convict you. He can, the Bible says He can reveal truth to you. He can help you see your own self. He can help you see things about you that you didn't even know about yourself. He can help you see wrong motives of the heart, wrong mentalities, through His Word and through the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, Paul is writing. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the seas, talking about their difficulties, their challenges, their pain, if you will, passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Skip down to verse 13. I I, I read that because that sets up what we're about to read in verse 13. So he tells them kind of the story of the children of Israel. Then in verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, you're not special. And and what you're experiencing is not special. Other people have experienced it. And that's a lie from the enemy, right? To, to, To begin to think that, well, no, you know, poor me. Begin to feel sorry for yourself. Well, no one's had to walk through. No one knows the trouble I've had. No one gone. And it's straight from the word of God. You know, Paul said it, look, there's no temptation that's overtaken you that's not common to man. Every person on the planet, somebody has experienced what you've experienced and worse. And there's many of us that if we found out about other people's situation, we might trade it real fast. If we, if we really found out what they were going through, we would gladly take ours. So no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. That's the first thing. In other words, this, this, is a, this is something we share as the human race. We're all in it together. We all experience pain, difficulty, trouble in order to grow and develop. So no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, when he talks about being tempted here, he doesn't mean in the sense of you, you're being offered something to sin. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being tempted to quit, being tempted to get out of the process, being, being tempted to abandon the faith. And that's why I read the first part when he was talking about the children of Israel, because same thing, he was talking about them when they were tempted or tested, their faith was tested in the wilderness. And so he's saying, there is no test or difficulty or temptation that's overtaken you that's not common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your ability. Why? Because what we were talking about earlier, it would crush you. In other words, he knows what you can handle. He knows what kind of difficulty and pain will create that growth process in you. And he knows what kind of difficulty and pain would crush you to the point where you are damaged. 
either you know, as a person or emotionally or physically. So God knows, and he oversees that process in our lives. And our job is to yield to that process, to yield to God and go, okay, if I'm walking through this and I'm going through this and I believe that God is leading me through this, then he must think that I can come out victorious on the other side. He must think that this can create something in me and develop something in me and cause me to grow as a believer. Some things that people experience are not from God at all. And that's why it crushes them and why it kills them. Why it destroys them. Because, in other words, you can't, you can't make choices and destroy your own life and then go, Oh, God, you're putting me through this. I've seen people do that, by the way. I've, seen, I've heard that. I don't know how many times I've heard that. People, you know, they've destroyed their life through their own choices and sin. And they're like, I don't know why God's letting me go through this. Like, God's not letting you go through anything. God tried to lead you away from this, but you disobeyed his word and went this way. And year after year, time after time, warning after warning, you persisted. And now you have the consequences of it. That's not God. That's just called reaping what you sow. All right, that happens. But there, there are legitimate things that we didn't do, right? Everything that bad that happens in our life is not because we did something wrong. Or we caused it. The Bible is very clear about that. No, we go through some things as human beings that we didn't bring upon ourselves through our own choices. And God guides us through those situations. And this is his promise to you. First of all, know and understand that this is common to man. It's common. It's not abnormal. And that God is faithful. Praise God. Everybody say God is faithful. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. If you don't feel like you have the strength, if you don't feel like you have the ability, God thinks that you do to go through it. And so you dive deep into him. You push into him, and he'll give you that strength you need to go through it. This is his promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And what will happen when you endure it? You'll grow and you'll develop and you'll change. Have you ever gone through something in your life that you thought was going to kill you? And then a few years later you went through something similar and you're like, this isn't really that bad. Because you had grown to the point that what used to kill you now just feels kind of routine or easy. I remember when I first started in the ministry, there were things like that. I'm talking way back. First, you know, youth pastor, way in the ministry. You know, conversations you had to have, difficult situations to deal with, and you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, and you got anxiety. Now, just a routine lift, you know, it's just every day, part of the deal. You know, whatever business you're in, whatever line of work you're in, as a parent, right? You had your first kid, and you thought it was going to kill you, but time you have number three, four, you're like, man, this is... Pfft. Nothing. Just let the other kids raise them. It'll be fine, you know. It's a whole different thing. Because you've grown to the point. Your patience has grown. Your endurance has grown. Your selfishness has died. So you're, you're a different person. Well, why? Because pain causes growth. And endurance causes growth. So there's a proportional relationship between pain and growth. Which is why spanking works, by the way. We're not going to get off on that sermon. Some of y'all think about that. You'll get that one later. But there's a, there's a proportional relationship between pain and growth. Just remember that if you're parents. Here's what I mean. 
Let's take reading a book. Okay? Reading a book. I would put this on what is considered a very low level of pain. And some of you love to read, but still, it requires sacrifice. It requires time. It requires discipline to get through the whole book. So it's very low level of pain. If you read a book, you experience a low level of pain or sacrifice, and you get a low level of growth as a result. But you get growth out of it. I've, and this is why I, one time I was doing count, premarital counseling with a couple and they don't go to this church anymore. So if I do a lot of premarital counseling. So if you're in here and I did that, don't think about it because it's not you. They, they don't go here anymore. But uh, one time I did premarital counseling with a couple. And I always give couples a book to read uh, as part of their growth to, to prepare for marriage. And one time I handed a book to the guy and he said, oh, I don't read. And I looked at his wife and I said, or excuse me soon-to-be wife. Actually, they ended up not getting married. But I looked at his wife and I said, um, that is such an important statement for you to hear. I said, because if this person will not make the sacrifice to read a book for you, you need to know that now. And I and actually ended up, I told him, I said, I, through, through the course of the counseling, I told him, I, I can't marry you. And it, and it had to do with that. Uh, because it wouldn't have lasted anyway. Because if you can't read a book, if you can't, make, if you can't put yourself through enough pain to read a book, because in a marriage you're going to counter a heck of a lot more difficulty than that. And if you can't do, get over that little difficulty of I don't like to read, so you're not going to improve your marriage, or I don't care enough about you to get over the fact that I don't like to read, you ain't got no hope for marriage. And I don't like to hear that when I'm talking to people. Oh, I don't like to read. Oh, I don't care if you like to read or not. There are lots of things I don't like to do that I do anyway. And that might be the problem. (laughs) Right? Because anybody who's a good human being, a good leader in their life, they do things constantly they don't want to do. That's the only way you get anything good in life. So, oh, I don't like to read. Well, get an audio book. You like to listen? You can listen while you drive. Try that one. But... Don't just say, oh, I don't read. Well, yeah, but you got to get knowledge. you got to get information. Sometimes to grow, you have to at least be willing to experience a little bit of level of pain. And I would say reading a book or listening to a podcast, that's what we would call very, very low level. You don't get much lower level pain than that. But a lot of people won't do it. You don't know how many times I meet with people, and I know the solution for their problem is in this book or this series or this podcast, and I give it to them, and I ask them two weeks later, did you listen to that? Oh, no, I hadn't got around to it yet. Don't come meet with me again, because there's nothing I can say that's going to help you if you can't just do this, right? You understand what I'm saying? It's like going to your doctor. It's like if you go to your doctor, and you say, well, I got these problems, these problems, and he says, well, I I got bad news for you, because the solution is diet and exercise. And then you go back to your doctor week after week, well, he can't help you, because he told you what you have to do, and you have to do that to come out of your situation. And that's how this is. And you, we got to see this tendency in ourselves, right? We all have it. We all have the tendency to be lazy, be undisciplined, be selfish. It's all there in all of us. But this is why it's so important how you raise your kids because this gets engrafted into a person from the time they're a child. Do they learn to push through? Do they learn to deny the flesh? Do they learn to say no? Do they, or do they just get everything they want? Do they take the easy road? Listen, that is ingrained in them 
as a human being from the time they're a child, and it will stick with them the rest of their life. You're not doing a child any favors by giving them everything they want and shielding them from every little bit of pain in their life. This is, this is crucial because usually people who were raised like this and understood that, no, we work hard, we make sacrifices, and, and we have goals, and we, we, we work, and we have you know, difficulty and challenges in our life, they, they have a better time at it as adults and even as Christians because all of life, all of Christianity requires sacrifice, hard work, pain, and difficulty. Amen, Pastor Josh. Hey, man, come on, go, get it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know when you're quiet, you're listening. I'm just kidding. So read a book. Very, very low level of pain, right? Very, very low level of pain. And proportionally, low level of, of growth. So how would, we, uh, how would we progress up the scale? Well, what about going to college? That's, I'd say that's a medium level of pain because now you've got a lot more money involved, a lot more four-year commitment or longer. Going to college, medium level of pain. Well, now you have medium level of growth. You get more growth going to college than maybe you did just reading a book because you ended up reading a lot of books. Okay, high level of pain. What about deciding to become a missionary and moving and uprooting your whole family to a third world country? High level of pain. High level of growth though if you move to if you become a missionary and you move to a, high, a third world country and you're just immersed in that culture the the change in you over the next two years is going to be massive it's going to be massive why because you had a very very high level of of growth pain sacrifice and the growth is proportional Here's the funny thing about pain and how this works. I hope I can communicate this to you in a way that makes sense, I, even though I know most of us you know, already understand this. But the, the interesting thing about pain is, because this is the world we live in. It's, just a, it's a broken, sinful world, and I hate that pain is so valuable, but that is the world that we live in. If you choose the small pain... Many times you are eliminating the big pain down the road. But if you n neglect the small pain, you're just delaying the big pain down the road. This is, this is, again, this is that relationship that you can't get away from. I'll use something simple like dental hygiene. Okay, if you brush it, it's annoying, right? Brush teeth every day, floss, and go to the dentist every six months. But it's really a small level of pain. Have any of you ever neglected that small pain and it came up to some big pain later? Root canal, having teeth pulled, you know, and, and after three, four days laying up with galls in your cheeks and, you know, on heavy medication, you know, oh, God, just wish I'd gone to the dentist, just wish I'd floss, just wish I'd... And then in that moment of big pain, boy, what you wouldn't trade if you could just go back and do the little pain again. And you look back and you go, oh, man, if I had just done this, just done this, it was so easy. It was right in front of me. And we look back on what we thought was so annoying, what was just a little pain, when we're in the big pain and we go, man, if I could just go back and do that and I could avoid this, I would do it all over again. See, right now, if you're married, with just a little bit of pain, you can invest in your marriage. 
You can read books. You can listen to podcasts. You can go on date nights. You can go to conferences. You could take time together. Just a little bit of pain. Yeah, it's a little bit of sacrifice. It's not much. But it doesn't compare with the devastation of divorce. It doesn't compare with the, the pain and the difficulty of a ruined marriage and affecting your kids and the decades that follow of problems and issues, right? We go, well, if I could just make a little bit of sacrifice now, I could avoid this big pain down the road. But here's the way. You're going to choose pain either way. We have, to, we have to acknowledge that. You're either going to choose the small pain and do the small things and the little things and the sacrifices now, or you're going to involuntarily experience the big pain down the road. How many of us have neglected areas of our health, right? When we're young, you know, eat how we want, do what we want, we neglect that. We don't, we don't put ourselves through the little pain of eating right. And then it catches up, right? I turned 40 this year. Praise God. I'm happy about it. You know, that never bothered me. I'm, I'm happy about it. But uh, my wife beat me there by two years, by the way. I just have to say that. She, she doesn't mind. She, she don't mind if I tell you. She, but anyway, um, I like that. She kind of prepped me. You know, hey, here's what you need to expect. But where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. Um, but if you neglect your health when you're young, it catches up with you, right? Well, it's, it's, it's a sacrifice to take care of your body. It's a sacrifice to eat right, sacrifice to go to the doctor. But it's little pain compared with the difficulty of real health problems down the road. This, I'm just using those as examples. I'm not like your nutritionist. I'm just saying this is every area of life. And spiritually, same way, neglect your marriage, you're going to pay down the road. Neglect your children and, and parenting, you're going to pay down the road. The road. See, the small sacrifice, the little bit of pain involved in bringing your kids to church, making sure they're in youth group, making sure they go to camp, making sure they're raised in a godly family, godly home, the little bit of sacrifice that's involved with that. But how many parents have I talked to that are going through the big pain of a child who's turned their back on God, totally away from God, addicted to drugs, suicidal, what they wouldn't do now to try to save that child. But, but, you, but you, and this is not to condemn anyone. I know we've gone through tons of stuff. But on the front end, when you could have done preventative that would have stopped this, for some reason, either we didn't see the value in it or we didn't want to put the work in. But what they wouldn't do to get out of this big pain, but you wouldn't do the little pain on the front end. You see? And that's why... It's so important now to think about these things and to realize the way this world is set up, that for anything good in this life, it's going to require pain, it's going to require sacrifice, it's going to require work, and as Peter said, it's going to require effort. Now, I'm by no means saying that this is all enjoyable and fun, and sometimes it gets tiring. How many of you have heard of Job? That's the one book of the Bible that a lot of people don't read, don't want to read, the book of Job, you know, because it's like, I don't know what happened to Job. I don't want it to happen to me. Maybe if I read it, it'll increase my chances that it happens to me. I'm not sure. Job chapter 7, verse 17, Job had a difficult time with the Lord. I don't think God treats many people the way that he did Job, by the way. I think it's kind of an exception, not the rule. But Job chapter 7 Verse 17, Job's been in this process for a while. And listen to Job, what he says. 
he's just frustrated at this point. And he says, what is man that you think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him? He's asking God. You inspect him every morning. You put him to the test every moment. Will you ever look away from me or leave me alone long enough to swallow? That's how Job felt because Job was in an intense season of pain and difficulty and testing. And that's probably not you. You're probably not like Job. But have you ever felt like that with God? Just, what is going on? I'm, I'm going through this. I'm walking through this. This is difficult. It's pain. What is happening? Well, listen, here's what, I, here's what I can tell you. If you trust God and you stick with God and you walk through his process that he has your best interest in mind and you'll come out changed on the other side. And the commitment that you have is that he will be with you through all of it. See, for this to work in any believer's life, it requires, let me say, requires a relationship with God. You can't just have a passing knowledge of who God is or a passing knowledge of the Bible. To walk through this process with God, it is a prerequisite. It is absolutely essential, required, I can't say it stronger, that you have a vital, a, a, a vibrant thriving relationship with God. If not, you'll become bitter. You ever met a bitter Christian? I have. But when you go through pain, see, and you go through difficulty in life, and you don't have a vibrant relationship with God, it can lead to that. It can lead to bitterness. But when you have a thriving, close, intimate relationship, deep relationship with God... As you're going through it, he's teaching you the whole time. He's showing you. He's helping you see. He's helping you understand. He's dispelling lies, dispelling deception, bringing truth, bringing encouragement. This requires that you have a genuine relationship with God. And I want to say this because sometimes I see Christians that it's almost like they just want the formula. You know, they just want the steps. It's like... Okay, just tell me what I need to do to be close to God. You know, okay, pray 10 minutes a day, read your Bible. You know, you go to church, you give them the steps. All right, I'm going to follow the plan. And that's how they do everything. They're very dutiful. But see, having a relationship with God is different than that. You know, it's like, it's like having a relationship with your spouse. If you say, well, how do I get close to my spouse? I say, well, go on a date. And so you're just making a checklist. All right, wake up every morning, tell her I love you. You know, write her notes. It's not like, it requires relationship. It's not a checklist. It's not a form, it's not just a dutiful thing you can follow. It requires a relationship. And the only way that I have ever found to build relationships, true relationships, genuine relationships, deep relationships, is with and through time. Time spent. The closest people that I'm to in my life, people I'm closest to in my life are people that I've spent the most time with. It requires time. It requires hours. Over coffee, over lunch, in the mornings, driving in the car. It requires time. And this is, what, this is where a lot of Christians miss it. They have a very surface relationship with God. They don't have a deep relationship. or And it all is about time. They do not spend the time with God that they could in order to get close to Him. And when you spend time with God... Like any relationship, it can be awkward at first. If you just, 
if, if you ever went on a blind date or something like that, or you're just meeting somebody for coffee for the first time, you go in, it's not like you just spend an hour over coffee and your best buds after that. It's awkward. It's weird, you know. And sometimes people go into prayer. They set aside time for God, and that's how they feel. They showed up, and they're like, all right, it's me and my Bible and these four walls. And uh, I, I, don't, I can't hear God, so I don't... So you feel that awkwardness, but this is what I learned as a young man. When I dedicated time to set aside for God and to be there and to show up every morning, read my Bible, turn on some worship music, worship, pray, read, God began to show up. See, the Bible says that if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Then say, seek me for three days and give up. Then say, seek me for two weeks and give up. Seek me with all of your heart. Then you will find me. This is another promise in Scripture. James 4, 8. Draw close to me, and I'll draw close to you. When you draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. You can't go through this process that we're talking about without having a deep relationship with God. It is absolutely required. Without it, you'll become one of those bitter Christians that misunderstand a lot of things that happen in their life. You have to have this relationship with God. Let me give you an example of what this relationship looks like. And then we're going to be closed this morning. Uh, This is Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Paul had this kind of relationship with God. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. He says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. What does that mean? You ever done anything in your life constrained by the Spirit? See, this is the relationship that Paul had with the Holy Spirit. What is he, what is he meaning? He's meaning the reason I'm going to Jerusalem is because the Holy Spirit is compelling me. Like, I know this is something God's asking me to do. He says, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. You see, this is that relationship. This is that relationship. He says, I don't actually know what's coming. I don't know why I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. I just know that the Holy Spirit whom I trust, whom I spend time with every day, who's the most faithful, loving, caring, trustworthy person I know, is asking me to go to Jerusalem. So I'm going. And I don't know what's coming out of it. You see, that's relationship. That's that relationship. I don't have to know why I'm going because I know the one who's sending me. I don't have to know what's going to happen there because I trust the Holy Spirit. Well, that requires relationship. You can't trust somebody that you don't know. You can't, you can't depend and follow and listen to someone that you, you don't know their ways or know their processes. So he says, I'm going to Drew, not knowing what will happen to me except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. In other words, pain. He said, I don't actually know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. This is the only thing the Holy Spirit has shown me, is that everywhere I go is going to be full of difficulty and pain and sacrifice. Wow. How many of you would have went to Jerusalem anyway? I mean, how many like... I don't know if that's God or not. I think I ate some pepperoni pizza last night. I'm not sure if that's... That's why it requires relationship. 
But see, you're, this is why I wanted to read you this. Because when you read these thoughts, you're reading a man that was, A, so close to God. And had already, in his mind, he was already dead in the sense that he'd been crucified with Christ. And the life that he lived was no longer his own. It was just Christ living through him. That was his mentality. That was how he saw everything. So he goes, this, this is le- legitimately how Paul saw it. Whether I want to go to Jerusalem or not is 100% irrelevant. Makes no difference what Paul wants. Paul has no opinion. Paul has no thoughts. Paul has no vote. Paul has no say. The Holy Spirit whom I serve and who I'm living for is telling me, constraining me to go to Jerusalem. And here's what he's told me. The only thing waiting you there is difficulty, pain, trouble, and sacrifice. He said, but I'm on my way there. Why? Because Paul's life was not his own. He had learned how to live a life of following God, which meant a life of sacrifice many times. Even though likely your life will not be the same level of sacrifice that Paul's life had because Paul had a special call on his life. And every Christian doesn't have to live this way, but we're looking at the principle. We're looking at this principle, this mindset of in order to do God's will, Okay, in order to grow into what he needs me to be, there, I'll go through anything that he asked me to. I'll do anything that he asked me to. So he said, I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He said, I'm going because I've been constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Man, that's encouraging. But, verse 24... I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. You see, that's that mentality. He said, yeah, the only thing waiting me is trouble and difficulty. But, he said, actually, I don't count my life as any any value, or I, I don't count it as precious. In other words, something that I need to protect and hold on to. I've already yielded it. I've already given it up. It's not mine. If only... I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was Paul's mentality. Now here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. Many of you are, I'd say this, you know, most of us in here, have some level of a relationship with God. And you have some sense, it's, it's varying between everyone, but you have some sense that there's a call and a purpose on your life to do something that matters for God and for the kingdom. Even if that's just raise a godly family that passes from generation to generation, how many know that's a worthy call? Even if I just raise my kids right, to, I raise my kids to love God and they do the same, that's powerful. But all of us have some sense that our lives matter. There's a purpose why God put me here. There's a call on my life of some sort. So in order to achieve that, this is what I want you to, wanted you to get out of the message this morning. In order to achieve that, number one, it's going to require effort. And it's going to require pain. And it's going to require sacrifice. And it's going to require difficulty. If you're on cruise control and you live your life every day for comfort and pleasure, you're not going to enjoy this process. It's going to be hard to make yourself get up 20 minutes earlier so you can spend time with God. If you want, the, if you want 
you know, everything you want from God with zero sacrifice and zero, zero uh, work, at, you know, work or, or zero hard work, zero input on your, on your part. You're going to just be one of those Christians that he was talking about here where you got saved, but you never supplemented it with anything because you never made any effort to. So what my challenge is to you this morning is to decide what kind of Christian do you want to be? How do you want to live out the rest of your life? Are you willing to make sacrifices and endure a little bit of pain so that you can go forward with God? If not, you're going to be one of those Christians that five, ten years you look back and your life looks exactly as it did, if not worse, than when you started in the faith. That's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to go on from glory to glory to glory to glory, looking more and more and more like Christ every year being more and more useful for the kingdom of God every year, not battling the same things every year, not going round and round a mountain, same problems, same issues that we had five years ago. No, we're supposed to be moving forward, advancing, going forward with God. If that's not happening, it's because we're not making the sacrifices that we talked about this morning.